Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 81. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. We're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's movie and pop culture blind spots and sharing our must-see movies and guilty pleasures from the past. Each time, one of us gets to choose. The other one has to watch. Actually, we watch together. Yes. We get to encounter things we may never have experienced on our own. This time, Ashley was in the driver's seat. I was in the back somewhere. Can't you sit up front with me? I hate... Okay. It makes me feel like a chauffeur when you... We didn't watch it in a car. We saw it (laughs) at home. We were on a sofa. Yes. Despite the fact that we live in Austin and Austin Film Society just did an entire retrospective of our star... Yes. What did you choose? I chose 1973, Bruce Lee... Jim Kelly, John Paxton. No. No, not John Paxton. John Saxon. John Saxon, thank you. <laughs> we could write song lyrics, yes. though, where we rhyme those. Uh, Enter the Dragon is uh, what I chose. Um, so I guess I should say a little bit about where I first encountered Enter the Dragon. Yes, pray tell, why did you choose Enter the Dragon? Well, so, I mean, it's kind of a funny set of circumstances that led me to be reminded of this film, but I first encountered it when I was a child at Christmas time, and um, we would go to my dad's aunt's house, who we called Aunt Colleen, um, and she had, like, a big, like, I guess... She had, like, a formal living room, and this would have been the den area. And in the den area, she had, like... She w- must have had the first VCR. Like, the, the kind that pop... The first VCR. Pop, pop up, you know, before you had the ones where you just slide it in the I little slot. VCR. The little pop-up kind. I had that. Um, and she had a large collection of VHS, like, pretty early in the 80s. Like, um, she started collecting things, and then... Uh, who lived with her was my my dad's cousin, Bob, who we, we called Uncle Bob, but he was actually like a second cousin. Um, that and, doesn't have as good a ring yeah, to it. Yeah, I know. But, uh, <laughs> second cousin Bob. Second cousin Bob. Um, and Bob, um, he rode motorcycles. He loved martial arts films. Um, he was in a like metal band. Um, he had like a whole wall in his room that was like filled with like, uh, cassette, um, recordings of like Pantera and Metallica and, and like all the big hair bands of the eighties. Um, so Bob was a pretty cool dude. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I, I like Uncle Bob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uncle Bob sounds great. Uh, we used to, um, our favorite game, which it's funny. I got to see my brother play this game with his kids is we would grab onto Bob's feet and he would drag us around the house. Oh, okay. <laughs> so like, you I know, was picturing you guys dragging a couple him. of actual ankle biters grabbing onto his feet and he walked around pulling us and getting us rug burns and that sort of thing. Um, so he, I guess, had a history of showing us movies that we probably were not old enough to watch. <laughs> I so, assume that we were watching these while our parents were off Christmas shopping, because I can't imagine my mom would be thrilled about us watching this movie. So wait, how old do you think you are when you're watching these Bruce Lee movies? <sighs> you know, I want to say that I was eight and my brother would have been six. Which is a little young for the type. I, and 
I can't be 100% that we watched Enter the Dragon. We might have watched some of the earlier ones when we were younger. Um, and, and honestly, actually, like, probably most of the stuff would have gone over our heads anyway. So, um... <laughs> But, I mean... I'm sure your brother, at least, was just in it for the fighting. I mean, we couldn't have been... Because I think we stopped going when I was 12 or 13. Because circumstances changed. They couldn't host the Christmas anymore. So we ended up staying home more. So we would have been definitely, like, kid age. Like, 6 to 10 age area in there. Maybe 6 to 11 or something like that. So... Maybe not the most appropriate thing, but I also remember watching, uh, like, Beavis and Butthead with uh, Bob as well. I don't think you're supposed to see that when you're 80. And I I wouldn't, I I don't think we were that young when we saw that, but but that wouldn't have been. So Bob kind of introduced us to things that were maybe we weren't quite old enough to see, but hey, you know, my brother was way into karate um, and kung fu and... um, Godzilla movies and and all this stuff. So this was like right up his alley alleyway. I mean, and, and he still is. Actually, my brother's taking adult martial arts lessons now, and his middle son is also um, involved in martial arts. So um, I thought it was a cool thing. I actually bought them a copy of the DVD set, which they already had. But um. <laughs> yeah. So wait, let's just pause on that for a second because I think the cool thing is that. You picked the perfect Christmas yeah. gift. Yes. You picked something that was so him and so right that he'd already recently gotten it Well, that's this is what I do with my brother. I buy him the gift of things that he already purchased for himself, and he does the same with me. So that's, Yeah, didn't you get the same Palm Springs... Uh, Julius Schumann, Schumann uh, photography, photography book. book. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just purchased it. It just shows no, how yeah. it shows how well you guys know each other. <laughs> yes, I think it's we a know good it very well. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. So, um, so, but why did you pick it for me and for this show? Well, I just feel like it's interesting that, like, what people see and what they don't see. Um, to me, this movie, like... It seemed like it was a forerunner for a lot of the things, like tangential things that happened in my life. You know, so the 80s, there was a big interest in, like coming from the 70s, but for kids getting involved in martial arts. And like, so especially here in Texas, which like actually read an article recently that like because of Chuck Norris and his interest in martial arts, he kind of spread all over Texas. And, like, Texas is one of the big places where martial oh, arts... Because of the Chuck Norris like, factor? Yeah. So, I mean, like, I took martial arts classes when I was a child as well. Um, I can't say it was, like, a big interest for me, but it is definitely something that I was involved in with a time. But then there's all these, like, like Karate Kid, and which was, like, a huge thing when I was a kid. Um... And then, like, even stuff like the Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter video games, which are based on, you know, some level of martial arts. Um, anyway, just, it's, like, sort of been, like, a, a thread in my background that that I haven't really even thought about much. Yeah. You know, not even as much as, like, because I think about, you know, Godzilla every day, but I never think about how big of a role that... I mean, we watched, like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. My brother was a giant fan of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like, those are turtles doing martial arts, but... um, (laughs) Okay. I I just... I don't know. It just... It brought up some 
some stuff and and it seems like it, it seems weird that you hadn't seen any of these films as you grew up in the 70s and you know <laughs> well i mean it's what this show's about it's a huge blind spot for me because i saw later action movies but more of the gunplay john woo mm-hmm. hong kong gangster type movies yeah and really nothing at all of the martial arts stuff yeah i mean i i've probably only seen the the crouching tiger hidden dragon kind of things yeah you know i've seen a couple of things like that and that's like it yeah and then i've seen tarantino uh probably the closest thing i've seen <laughs> is like kill bill's uh kung fu and martial arts type stuff yeah and i know he's a huge bruce lee fan but yeah I, and shaw brothers and all that kind of hong kong stuff but that's it and I, I mean so i wasn't allowed to watch that kind of thing when, when i was eight kid. years old yeah i guess i kind of remember like so there was this guy who lived on the block who was a few who's maybe four or five years older i don't know like yeah. so when i was like eight he was like 12 and like like everybody looked up all the little all the younger guys looked up to him cuz he knew everything he you know he saw the shining and before mm-hmm. we did it and told us about it and we used to commission him to like he used to draw comic book um art and uh, you know like inked comic book yeah. art so you know we'd like ask him to make us an x-man picture whatever so he i think had knew about this stuff so I, some of it trickled down but i didn't have access to it yeah and then by the time i did you know when i lived with my sister as a teenager i don't know in, it's insufferable it, snob. It, it, I, I was already <laughs> yeah okay i can do that i can go with that i was already an insufferable snob yes <laughs> look at the way i'm holding i like i'm like hugging myself now and I still am, so that's why I never. I was I was busy trying to watch. Uh, you know, I saw Citizen Kane for the first time when I was fourteen. Not yeah. not Enter the Dragon. Not Enter the Dragon. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, okay. So the other point of connection is probably reading about Enter the Dragon because um, of that wonderful book, cult movies Mm. and and the series cult movies by Danny Perry. I think that's how you say his name. When I was a kid and when I was 11 years old and I got the book, I thought it was Perry or, but anyway, I had, I found that book. I was already browsing the movie books and stuff when I was 11, 12 years old. And I found that and bought it with my allowance and like proceeded to read like every single essay in there. A lot and that had a lot of yeah. stuff that was totally inappropriate. Yeah. It has like behind the green door and like, I don't know what that is, but okay. It's an early <laughs> porn movie. Okay. <laughs> so I was reading about all of these movies, but it's also got Harold and Maud and the Maltese Falcon in two thousand one and Once Upon a Time in the West and all these other movies. So that's the first time where I probably read about what this movie was like, but I didn't have access to the movie. Yeah. And then by the time I had access to everything, it just didn't occur to me. Yeah. And I probably had stereotypes then. Like, I probably thought I wouldn't be interested or I wasn't, I didn't know anything about it. So, like, my entry point this time was, I knew, you've talked about it over yeah. the years. Like, how, how this connection you and your brother had with watching the Bruce Lee movies. And yeah. so, I, it piqued my interest and then... Recently, uh, Austin Film Society, like I said at the beginning of the show, ran pretty much the whole series yeah. that that's, covers the Criterion box set that just came out. I didn't realize how few movies he made. Yeah. 
And I didn't realize quite how young we lost him. Yeah. Um, so we actually had the great uh, good fortune of having my older sister come out and visit us for the Christmas holidays. Uh, it was good to see her. And we grabbed her and went to, uh, the three of us went to Austin Film Society and we saw my first Bruce Lee movie, The Way of the Dragon. So that wasn't the first one I've ever seen. And then here we are after Christmas and you find out your brother already has the set. Well, now we have the set. We, I, so kept now, it. I kept the set. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, can we unwrap that and watch? I bought him rest? a copy of Lady Snowblood. And can we watch the rest of them now? So, um, yeah. I don't know. You found a blind spot. You yeah, found a big, huge a blind spot. A giant blind spot. So I want to say that my first one that I saw was Fist of Fury. Um, I just want to say that I don't think I'd seen Way of the Dragon, or if I had, I did not remember it But you've all. definitely seen Enter the Dragon before? I'm pretty sure I've seen Enter familiar, the Dragon. Was it familiar, even if you haven't seen it since you were been, 10? I'm, I'm, what, I'm 40 now, so that was... 32 years ago. So it's going to look familiar, but you're not going to yeah, be like, oh, I totally remember ago. that so scene. I didn't, I didn't remember, I didn't remember anything about the plot. I do remember that of the movies that they made us watch, I much preferred the Bruce Lee films to any of the freaking Star Wars that they made us watch every year. I mean, as soon as they were available on VHS, they made us watch Star Wars every year. And it just, it never was my thing the way that... I don't know. I think I, I every time my brother suggested Bruce Lee, I would be more into that than I would have been into... You're like, just not Star Wars, right? <laughs> anything but Star Wars, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, even now, even, yeah. even then. Um, but, like, one thing that struck me... So, just to mention a little bit something about Way of the Dragon before we get into Enter the Dragon, is that Way of the Dragon was written, directed by Bruce Lee. It was a, it was a really enjoyable film. I really liked it. It was weird, it was silly. Okay, the so the fight scenes were amazing. Bruce Lee is in incredible shape. Yeah. <laughs> um he's so, fit. Yeah, yeah. I I really liked that one and that one was entirely made in Hong Kong, not financed by the US. Um, so like, you know, the camera, camera angles are a little more amateur. You can see that there's not as much money being spent, you know, um, but so, something lo very lovable and, and endearing about the film. And then the fight sequences were amazing. So I really liked Way of the Dragon. It made me want to, to go back and, and so see Enter the Dragon it's again. It's funny. Well, yeah, we are going to inevitably talk about both movies because yeah. that was my first one. Yeah. So first I have to talk about my expectations yeah. going the way of the dragon. I thought I was going to get a movie like Enter the Dragon. Yeah. And so I was really put off, not put off, put off sounds negative. I was um, pleasantly surprised by how weird and offbeat a movie it was. Like, it's... It's got all this light comedy in it. and There's he, like all this weird physical comedy in that first yeah, scene. Yeah, he's a wonderful physical comedian. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Like it's not, it doesn't really take itself seriously. It, the plot is about a, a restaurant protection ring. So it's yeah. not, the stakes are not all that high really, yeah. you know. In Rome. <laughs> right, in Rome. Right. It's a Chinese restaurant in Rome. It sounds like the beginning of a joke. So there's a Chinese restaurant in Rome. And, um... <laughs> And it was just delightful. I mean, yeah. it was, it was, I mean, we both like silly and mm. we both like action. 
And I didn't know, I had no idea that Bruce Lee was such a good comedian. Yeah. Because the whole first half hour or, you know, 20 minutes or so is this kind of fish out of water thing of him arriving. Um, In Italy. Right? In yeah. It, yeah. In Rome at the airport. Right. You know, and and uh, he's basically got like the bag on his shoulder or whatever. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's you're sitting there watching five minute scenes of him not knowing how like how to order the food in the restaurant or, or you know, he orders like eight soups. He orders eight soups and he eats the eight <laughs> soups. And then he has like ingestion and like has to pee a million times. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very weird and silly. And it's a lot of fun. And then you, you culminate in in uh you know showdown with chuck norris in the freaking coliseum yeah that was that was pretty amazing i mean like it's funny because like they're obviously like they got some some they sent somebody to get some shots of the coliseum and then built a pretty convincing coliseum set for them to do their final battle in you know you know one thing i didn't expect is that the that chuck norris would end up dead at the end that was kind of weird <laughs> That's how showdowns go, right? I, mean, I guess so. I mean, in a way, a lot of these martial arts movies are updated like westerns. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think they are anyway, and because they all have that sort of showdown. Well, it was it's interesting because, like, you know, at the I guess in the early seventies, like Chuck Norris would have been among the sort of top practitioners, certainly the most famous U.S. practitioners of of you know Europe or Asian style martial arts. And um, to see him against Bruce Lee, who is like, I i didn't remember how, I mean, like, you can see every muscle on his body. It's mm-hmm. amazing. And Chuck Norris just seems not quite as fit compared to... <laughs> He's also a little hairy. Yeah. Well, Isn't there was, a scene where he rips off like, some of his chest yeah, hair Yeah, Bruce Lee ripped off some of his chest hair, which, which kind of... Odd, because it, it made everyone in the audience laugh, but I think that this was supposed to be, like, the dramatic show. And it, it it was a little more serious in tone than the rest of the film, you know. Well, nobody knows. I mean, we don't know how to react to, yeah. to that movie. Like, yeah. because of the tonal shifts. Yeah. The whole movie, in a way, ha- kind of veers towards Goofy because of all the humor in it. Yeah. I think... I, I don't know. So I get that. I think maybe like a little a more dramatic score in that scene probably would have, yeah, you know, would have pushed it more into the serious tone. But like in the end, like Chuck Norris is like a hired hand, so it seems kind of weird that like there's no honor involved on his side. He's just the guy that the he's just the, the one they send in to clean up. Yeah. So yeah. um, so yeah. the stakes for him aren't the same as they are yeah. for for Bruce Lee's character, so... So, I agree with you that it's a little scruffier. Yeah. I mean, at least the the restored print that we're watching, I mean, there's there are shots that are completely out of focus yeah. and stuff like that. There's rough editing, just yeah. re- continuity-wise and stuff like that. But... It doesn't really matter after a certain, after the first few minutes. Yeah, it was it was a thorough. I I truly enjoyed that film. I I wanted to talk a little bit about that first because like Enter the Dragon. I mean, like I don't want to say necessarily that it suffered from American involvement, but it. I don't know. To me, it wasn't. 
I mean, like, I know it's like one of the, it's like the top grossing martial arts film of all time, um, made for like $800,000 and it's yeah. made over $350 million in, you know, throughout its many runs. I think it played throughout the seventies at different yeah. theaters around, you know, um, but like plot wise, I mean, like it's not, <laughs> well, it's kind of a weird plot, you know? It doesn't have much of a plot. No, not really. It doesn't really. need much of a plot to get it going and to justify what we have. Yeah. So I think you could... So I think the idea is that Bruce Lee's character is... On... Who's Lee? His name is Lee. Mm-hmm. In the... um, is that he's an honorable man who works like at a Shaolin temple or something like that mm-hmm. as as a martial arts instructor... So the idea is that he's an honorable man and he wouldn't be involved in a competition of this sort if there weren't some stakes. So they have some weird, like, British secret secret agent dude that, like, comes in and we're like, we need you to get something on this Sky Han. Um, He's having a competition. We're going to send you in. Get, Get the lowdown on... The evil things that he's doing so we can come in and shut him down, essentially, is... And he's told he's running heroin out yeah. of there, and he has a ring of basically, like, sex slaves who the, That's right. the, the women are turning up dead. But there's no guns. Just... Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, so you're... you're, you're Now this is for an American yeah. audience, yeah. and they're going to be like, well, why don't you just send, why don't in, you just send, why don't send you guns? Send in Clint Eastwood with a yeah. gun? Yeah. Right? So they have to address that in the plot. It's like, Han will not allow... Guns. Han doesn't like island. guns. So. And uh, he's virtually, he's the monarch of this, this island. This island. So, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, there's a James Bond movie in here waiting to get out. Well, <laughs> apparently, like, reviews at the time that it was like a... a it's knock- like Dr. No. Yeah, a knockoff yeah. of Dr. No. It, Even down to the cat that he's well, carrying right. around oh, in yeah. the early He's got scene. a white fluffy cat. He's got a metal hand. <laughs> yeah. He's got a, an island, a secret island fortress. Yeah. Um, it's he's a Bond villain. He's very clearly a Bond. So villain. I kind of wonder if like because cause the script was written when Warner Brothers came calling, and he's like, I've got the script, and then they assigned a co-writer to sort of like change some stuff up. So I wonder like what you know the American co-writer so brought you, in. You, you know, you have a completely different origin story for yeah. this movie because we just watched the DVD extra, the DVD documentary, and it's in. They say it originated as an American project to to make Lee as he was looking for a project to make him a star in the United States. And James Coburn and uh, and I forget the name of the Hollywood producer who produced this, um, put together the package. Yeah found the writer who wrote the script and um, sold it to the money people as introducing Lee and the compromises were you've got to have these American, you've got to make it the three heroes and you have to have it's, the American heroes. It is weird because what <clears throat> I read in two different articles, one on the AV club and I can't remember where the other one was, is that that Bruce Lee already had a script like that just got changed significantly. It had a different mm. name Um but that it came, when when Warner Brothers came in, they you know got some American producers on it. They had some other director who was a rookie director, you know, mm-hmm. which 
I kind of wonder, like, if they had let Bruce Lee direct it with all the great camera people that were available to him with the new, <clears throat> the, you know, American financing, that maybe it might have been a different kind of film. You know, I don't know. Uh, I think this movie is well directed, at least in terms of yeah, filmic construction. I don't know. I feel like in Way of the Dragon that some of the shots were a little bit more interesting. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is this looked more professional. Yeah, yeah, it certainly did. <laughs> it looks like you have a career film director. The, well, I mean, it. it was his first major right. film, I think. I, I think maybe he'd done TV and commercials prior to that. Mm-hmm. But um, and this is the biggest hit of his career. You know, he, he directed other films, but this was the biggest, biggest film he ever had made. Um, and then they brought in, um, uh, what's his name? Saxon. John Saxon. Who I've never seen in anything else before because I'm... No, I mean... I, the, I, I mean, everybody's only, like, he's a big deal, and I'm like, who is this? The only movie <laughs> I... I know John... I don't know why I know who he is. I recognize him when I see him. Yeah. But the only movie that I can specifically name to you that I've seen him in is um, the original Nightmare on Elm Street. He's oh, yeah. Na- he's he Nancy's father. The dad, I yeah, guess. Yeah, he's the dad. I read about that. I so didn't see it. So I actually knew him in that before... Okay. Knowing he was in this. And I don't know. He's got an easy name to remember. And Apparently remember he was in... Th- well, the other weird thing about that is that in the documentary that came with the DVD, yeah. which was made in the 80s, probably early 90s. You'd be surprised. It's yeah. probably a late 90s DVD feature. Okay. Well, so that in that story, the John Pac- Saxon guy says that he just like took a few classes in martial arts, but I found something else that said that he had taken three years of martial arts training. Um, you can never, is... you can never, <laughs> these, people are never reliable in interviews yeah. because if he felt at all, like his martial arts wasn't up to the standards of the rest of the cast, which it wasn't, it wasn't. then he may have downplayed <laughs> okay. his own yeah. experience. He had some experience they were, you know, the the introductory scene with yeah. John Saxon on the golf course in in Enter the Dragon, where yeah. he he goes off to retrieve his ball and then gets into a thing where he's yeah. like kicking faces and stuff like yeah. that. That's stuff that he could actually do, and he said yeah. he showed them he could do that kind of stuff just to kind of show some kind of credibility yeah. for them to hire him. And um, that's kind of his level, but he yeah. had some experience. I didn't know it was three years. But well, that's it's that's, not his life. He's no, an actor. You no, know? he's 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 an actor in films and TV. Well, it was interesting because like in the article that I read, they were commenting on like he never did another martial arts film, even though that became like a giant genre after this, you know, and it didn't sound whereas, like, like he, it made a bit like Jim Kelly, who was the other sort of third star yeah. on this. He it was his first film and he went on to being in m- many other sort of. The, as the black exploitation genre was sort of getting yeah. off the ground, he was in a lot of the so, marsh, uh, the martial arts themed black exploitation films. So he's that a, came he out. was in the right place at the right time, and this movie made him because, yeah. like, they had that ca- character cast, and mm. that person dropped out. Yeah, and they 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 needed somebody. They were going to go into production and or or else get on the plane to go to Hong Kong in two days. Yeah. So on two days' notice, they went. Um, to local gyms and they found him and well he was like a champion yeah he was he's, a he, he's he was a martial artist he was yeah. a champion but yeah. they found him in a in a in a local gym 
saw him there. Yeah. He's charismatic. He he knows what he's doing. He he can do his you know, scenes were incredible. And, and they approached They're him. Really good. And are you available? And yeah. he and so they got him two days <laughs> yeah. before shooting. Yeah. Or two days before heading off into production. And I like Jim Kelly. I I, I thought he was really good. Yeah. I, he's just so he has like a lot of charisma when he's on yeah. screen. Um, so, and and he was definitely the the best fighter other than Bruce Lee, you yeah. know. <laughs> so I don't I I don't mind John Saxon. I think he has the most personality in the movie because he's more of an Yeah, they actor. didn't lo- they didn't have Bruce Lee display his full range on this film, I don't think. They didn't give him a lot to do. No, I don't think. He doesn't have that much of a character in yeah. the movie. And like Bruce Lee is so good, he doesn't need it. Yeah. It's better when he does, like in Way yeah. of the Dragon. He's got a full range of emotions and he and the story also gives him personal stakes. Yeah. Um so they gave more of that. Neither I mean Jim Kelly nor Bruce Lee really have that much range of emotion in the movie. No. Yeah. John Saxon He's, you know, they, they also, they give him these little vices, right? He's a gambler and he's a kind of a ladies man leering sort of guy. Yeah. He can crack a joke. Like he's, you, he, he is an actor and, yeah. and he, he gives some kind of personality to the proceedings that yeah. you, you need, I don't know, you wouldn't necessarily, he, he's not as good a fighter. He can't do this stuff. They have to use the editing room to make yeah. it look good. It's true. But I don't mind him being there. Yeah. I don't know. From the lens of 48 years later, mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels a little bit like... I mean, like, I know that they chose the stars that they did to, you know, attract... To be able to market it to the widest possible audience. Oh, this movie would not have been made without a white lead. Well, I, 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 didn't, I so. said... I meant widest. Oh, I thought also you said widest. Wi- I thought you yes. said widest. Widest and possible. I, think I mean, I, to be able to market it to Hong Kong, to be able to market it in the United States, to be able to market it in Europe and well, that's, elsewhere. That's why I think... But also, give, yeah. That's also they, that, too. <laughs> it well, is... They give us a cast of three. Yeah. I think they... I think they flat out told them that they couldn't make this or green light this with just Bruce Lee yeah. at this point. Like, yes, we want to introduce them. So, and, you know, it's funny. <laughs> we went back and looked at the period trailer from the yeah. release. And it markets all three of them. And the whole thing is Lee, Roper, Williams. Yeah. Lee, <laughs> Roper, Williams. Williams. And it's it's not even clear that he's the star. Yeah. <laughs> You know, they're hedging their bets yeah. in the way that they, they, they're marketing the movie. Well, apparently so the script, this marketing campaign was like one of the biggest in U.S. history at the time. Like they, they went crazy marketing it. So it, it, it did well in, uh, it did really it well was, in did the crazy US. good in, yeah, when it, it came crazy, out. It did crazy well in Hong Kong, um, Europe, Japan, um, even like India. And I mean, I was just reading this, but uh, apparently it did crazy, crazy well. Everywhere it played, you know, it was one of the top films in the U.S. that year. Um, but I do wish that... I'm such a snob, I didn't even know yeah. about its importance <laughs> in, in, like, film history. Like, I just, I wish that, that it could have been a true, like, let's have Bruce Lee be 
the freaking star that he is because like he is an incredible athlete. He's a, an incredible actor, you know, in, you know, within the action genre, you know, it's, I don't know. Although he apparently has been an actor since he was a child in Hong Kong films, you know, yeah. um, and then he came to the U S for a while and got a role as Cato in the green lantern that mm-hmm. came out in the late sixties. Yeah, I, I think guess. he went to university in the States. Too. And then he couldn't get any more work beyond that. So he went back to Hong Kong where he, you know, sort of built a name for himself enough that he could, you know, he, his goal was to be an American, yeah. you know, action star. And unfortunately didn't get the opportunity to explore that fully before he passed away. But yeah. Bruce Lee was born in uh, San Francisco in That's Chinatown. Right. And then his parents moved him as a boy to mm-hmm. Hong Kong and he grew up there and then came back to go to college, I think. Yeah. So let's talk about him. I mean, we've done a lot of, we haven't talked that much about Bruce Lee and we talked a little bit about Jim Kelly and John Saxon, but what, what do we get with Bruce Lee in Enter the Dragon? We've talked about him in the other movies. So I feel like there's a few things that where it like peeks through a little bit about his personality before it sort of like really becomes like just like action scene after action scene after action scene, Um, which like is not a bad thing in this case. It's not like, you know, there's like, 3D animation all over the place or anything like that. That's what we're buying a ticket for. Yeah. (laughs) Because we want to go and see action scene after action scene. Um, But, like, the first scene that he's in, which is at the, I guess, the Shaolin Temple, where he's um, talking to the British guy, and then he he pauses just, like, in the middle of their conversation. He puts him on hold (laughs) and goes to talk to his student. Yeah, to teach them how to kick, kick with emotion. Yeah. You know, so um, I enjoyed that part. And then there's another little bit of where I think his personality shows through where um, this guy just randomly starts challenging him on the boat to the island. Oh, and, that was good. Yeah. I and forgot about that. This guy is just a jerk. He's like kicking the crew member on the ship and something like that. And then, um, um, you know, Bruce, Bruce Lee's like, um, you know, I've mastered the art of fighting without fighting. And he's like show me what that is. And so he's like, come get on this boat and we'll go over to this island over here, this yeah. little lifeboat, and we'll go on this island and I'll show you what I mean. And then what happens is that the guy jumps on the little boat and then Bruce Lee like lets out the rope and then the guy is like too far away from the ship that everybody's on. And that's fighting without fighting. Yeah, uh, and he's stuck out good. there at yeah. a, at, totally at his mercy. Yeah. Drifting away. <laughs> It's good. It's good <laughs> it was stuff. pretty good, pretty funny little bits that they threw in there. So, you know, Bruce Lee is just one of those performers that you just point the camera at them and he has instant presence and charisma. Mm, yeah. He just freaking, the camera loves him and yeah. your eye is always on him. And it is presence. It's probably the discipline. It's probably the philosophy. Because yeah. I mean, all that Shaolin Temple, like yeah. he had a whole philosophy to his martial yeah. arts um, tradition to his his work, and uh, and then um, he's good to look at. Yeah, he's super handsome and fit, and yeah. like he's just absolutely magnetic. You can't look away, and and so in a way, like. 
even not giving him that much of a, a personal story in the movie or that much of a reason to be there other than fighting, he still like earns his his right to be there on the screen yeah. just because he's amazing. And then when you see what he can do yeah. in fight after fight after fight after fight, it's just... Nowadays, it's CGI, right? Yeah. Then it, it was a man in his body, you yeah. know, and he could do all of that. Well, one thing I've, I've, we forgot to mention, which actually was my favorite fight of the whole thing, uh, which is they kind of threw in this weird thing to build stakes for Lee, which is that the British government knows that his sister was killed by some of Han's men. Named Hara, O'Hara, or something like that. Actually, it was his guy at the Shaolin Temple who tells him that that uh, his sister, that Han killed his sister. Oh, okay. Okay. The head of the temple. Okay, I missed where that. But I don't know. That was kind of a weird little thing. But the no, I like that. that well, I mean, action movies do that, yeah. right? You have you have the person with the mission, but they also have like a personal connection to it, and so. Like we are set up for he's he has a a revenge motive, right? Because yeah. it's that O'Hara who like caused, the henchman of uh, who attacked his sister and then yeah. But talk about the fight. Tell well, I'm me. trying to find the name of the actress. I have that. You just is, ask me. What is the name of the actress? <laughs> Angela Mao. Angela. She was. Incred- to me, that was the most exciting high-stakes fight of the whole thing. So it's just a flashback to what happened to Lee's sister, which is, like, she was just, like, walking down the street and a, like, bunch of guys just started to Accosted attack, her, attack yeah. her for no particular reason at all. Um, O'Hara decided he wanted her. So there's this incredible scene where she's, like, running through the village and, like, fighting, like, four or five guys at a time and, you know... Um, and then it ends with, you know, she's sort of cornered, so she decides to kill herself rather than be, you know, d- you know, dishonored by this O'Hara guy. So, so that is a brilliant scene. That's yeah. my favorite action sequence, too. Yeah. And I, I, I guess she's a big deal. I don't know anything about it, Angela Mao, but it's but um, she she was just incredible. That was so fun to watch. I mean, so that scene works for so many reasons. <laughs> and like, if you gave that kind of story gravity or equation to the rest of the movie, it would have been even better. Because what you have there is you have um, First of all, it messes, it plays with your expectations because you think it's going to be a scene of them accosting and assaulting yeah. a helpless woman, yeah. basically. She's surrounded by rough dudes, yeah. like cornered, and then she runs. And then the exhilaration of finding out that she can actually kick ass. Yeah, she's She awesome. freaking kick it, kicks ass. So, I mean, like, in she's my, amazing. In my you know, headcanon, there's a version of this story where instead of being, instead of dying, she's, like, captured and he gets to save her and then they get to fight together. And I well, would have loved to see that. You it's know? very weird. And I think, like, <laughs> like, 
if I don't know what is going on at the script level because yeah. this seems to me to need a revision that does something like yeah. that. Where be- he's got a stake to save her from. Be- because they're clearly trying to, like, I mean, unless it's like they got a phone call and says, we, we can get Angela Mao, write something for her, she's coming in in two days or yeah. something. I don't understand why they took the time to, like, give Bruce Lee, Lee's character, the motivation of having his sister killed by this person and create this wonderful set piece action thing and and it works also because it's like a short film i mean it's a short film it has super high stakes because it's this woman it's her honor it's her life yeah um she's running for her life um she we don't want her to be one of um han's victims and yet it's a flashback so we know that she is but what does the movie do it resolves the ohara thing within a half hour yeah so lee takes care of ohara like it's the very, very first fight that very he has soon after on the island, yeah. Getting to the island. And to me, that seems like a story problem because like you could you could make him be one of like something he's building towards yeah. instead of Han. It just seems like then you take that so that's one minor complaint I have is that they resolve that personal motive yeah. for Lee like within 30 minutes. Yeah. When you could have kind of held that over our heads for... I mean, maybe that's a cliche to do that, but why introduce it and then resolve it right yeah. away? So, I guess, let's see. Once we get on the island, um, Han has, like, sort of an elaborate, very weird banquet <laughs> for his competitors. <laughs> Is this the room with all the bird cages it hanging down bird and all cage. that? So, it's funny... I've, something we were watching, they were saying that the shot was really boring. They had that shot from above, but it was really boring um, without the bird cages. So they added the bird cages to add some visual interest, apparently. Yeah, well, the cinematographer said the director told him to set up this <laughs> shot that's like bird's eye looking down, yeah. and it just looked like little people moving around. Yeah. It was really not very interesting. So, so this is... I'm I'm curious. So this this movie was filmed in Hong Kong. Yeah. This seems like a very Western gaze sort of scene. So it's got like every like cliched like there's a Chinese New Year dragon there. Well, go go look at the yeah. production. Yeah. <laughs> the the crew. This is an American production. Okay. I mean, this is written and directed by Americans. This is Bruce Lee as seen through the eye of Americans. Well, and but you know, interestingly, the the like sir, so there's some things that I liked, like the details of the the architectural details. I enjoyed. They're they're beautifully done, and and the colors are gorgeous. But the scene is very weird because it's this giant like there's. There's Chinese acrobats there, and then, of course, the Chinese New Year dragon, which is a weird thing to have, unless it is Chinese New Year. I don't know. Um, no, I think you're right. There's yeah. this kind of stereotype fetishism thing it's going on. It's very weird. And and um, and then, like, Han comes in, and he's, he's, he's just evil, you know? Yeah. He, so they say they had, I mean, they had a Hong Kong crew. Yeah. It was basically the top production, you know, the yeah. director, the cinematographer, those guys were American, but they had the craftspeople and the, the crew yeah. was entirely local people. But it's still, I think, you know, you have a production design, the production designer is American. And yeah. if the director and the production designer <laughs> are deciding, yeah, let's put in a dragon over there and let's put, you know, Get them in kimonos or, you know, that kind yeah. of, there's that kind of thing going on, I think. Yeah. And the craftspeople are just delivering what they're being 
yeah. commissioned, hired to deliver. Well, and, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, as, you know, Bruce Lee, who lived in America, knows what, you know, America's narrow view of Asian culture, especially in the 70s, would have been, you know, that, um, and, and even continues to be to some extent, um, that, um, that people would expect to see those things. So maybe, you know, it's part of that playing to the audience, what the audience would expect to see, I guess. As a movie. Yeah. I love all the sets and the, yeah. and the locales and the, and it's great. You know, the prison the area below ground and mm. the, the courtyards where the competition is held mm. and the banquet room. It all looks really good. Yeah, it does. The color, and it's, yeah, it's beautifully like very colorful and, you know, your eyes are drawn yeah, it's... Especially if you look at the Criterion Restoration. Yeah. <laughs> These movies look so good now. Yeah, they do. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's the weird establishing. And then he sends them to their rooms. You guys go to your rooms, but you're not allowed to leave your room at night, apparently. Right. That's, that's like, the one rule. So, of course, you know. Oh, and no guns. And no guns. No guns, and you're no not wandering. allowed to leave at night. And so he sends around his... Um, slave his sex slave women to the to the competitors in the evening. Let's talk about that a little bit. <laughs> Let's talk about the that and the character of Tanya. Yeah, Tanya is the like sort of the madam or the yeah. Right? I, well, I was calling her Ghislaine Maxwell during when we were watching it. So it's well, <laughs> you guys, if you watch this, it's gonna all. Seem a little uh, Jeffrey a Epstein. A little Je- Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, with the island and private, private planes and yeah. P- VIPs get to have visits of uh, five, uh, four or five women brought into the room for them to select. It's uh, and this and at the the head is this white well, woman. This, yeah, this should be like an over the top thing, but like we know that this kind of crap happens, and like, well, like rich people can own private islands, and you know. Okay, and then, like, <laughs> the movie is trying to have it both ways yeah. because it's basically a martial arts exploitation yeah. movie, right? I yeah. mean, it's got a bigger budget and all that. But, like, the one of the motives yeah. for them breaking up this ring isn't just the drugs, but the women connection. Yeah. And yet they have um, all three of the guys are... Uh, Williams, Roper, Lee. Lee. Um, <laughs> except the visits and are quite happy with being given the selection and their choice of the women. So it's like, hey, break this ring up, but also, hey, enjoy it first. Have it, you know, on us. So John Saxon's character, like, selects, what, three, four women? He's like, that... No, 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 it's Jim Jim Kelly. It's Jim Kelly. So I think there's some, like, pretty terrible stereotyping going on here. Um, Like, to me, that's, like, in this day and age would be completely unacceptable, but they have... They have J- Jim Kelly's Jim character. Jim Kelly chooses like five girls, and then he four, and he apologizes for not selecting more because he needs to ki- he, he needs, needs to, to rest up for the next uh, yes, whatever yeah. conserve his energy his uh, vital essence. And then uh, John Saxon chooses Tanya the the, lead. the leader, and, and she says fine, sure. Yeah. And Bruce Lee actually asked for a girl who he knows to be a spy for the British government. So they actually that's right. I'm sorry. They're just talking. I didn't. They're mean to just fault talking Bruce Lee. about her mission. So I wouldn't be surprised if Bruce Lee was the one who's like, no, my character's not going to do that. So I wish that she had had more. 
I, I thought they were setting I her some, up. I wanted some more kick-ass girls is basically what I wanted. I thought you they know? were setting her up to be in it more. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I would have liked to see her in some of the final confrontations. Yeah. So she just ends up being the sort of spy on the inside. So um, anyway, first night, Bruce Lee, like, goes out of his room. He's not supposed to. And he, like, finds the entrance to a secret cave Underground. The underground prison complex. Yeah, and I'm not really sure what's under there other than... So they're, like, making heroin. Okay, that's what they were doing. I wasn't clear what they were doing. They had, I like, think they walk, he large walk, vats and Yeah, well, something. he walks in and somebody says drugs or something yeah. like that. So, you know, but then, you know, the guards... Oh, I think he says opium, or somebody mentions yeah, opium. opium, yeah. that's right. Um... Anyway, so he goes back to his room, and then the next day we are at the competition, where I think the first thing that happens is that the guards who who let Bruce Lee get away get, like, slaughtered by this, like, giant martial arts dude. Yeah, so... <laughs> With the most gross, like, neck-cracking sound effects I've ever oh, heard. I wanted to talk about that. I don't know, something I read, I, I think it was in the Danny Perry cult movies essay, led me to think this movie was going to be really graphic and yeah. bloody. I don't know if some of the other Bruce Lee, me- Lee movies are, or if other martial arts movies are, but I was expecting this one to have a little bit more of that. And really, it didn't have so much that you see on screen, Yeah. but man, the sound effects. I know, they were pretty How bad. many like squelching, neck-cracking, arm dislocating kinds of noises do you need I'm, i am glad that i didn't get to see them but it also takes you into the Werner herzog territory of don't ever don't, listen to don't them. ever listen never to, you must you, promise me you must promise me you will never <laughs> listen to this um yeah there's some things i wish i could unlisten to yeah you know like you want to unsee things. that scene was probably the most disturbing also for me also i mean other than the, just, the weird lady scene can i just but, see, say like what is up with their choice of security guards? Those guys are all really puny and, know. and awful. Like, why don't they have the guys who are in the competition as their security? Why are these, like, these doofy, like, nerd guys who get twisted into pretzels So, right I don't away? know if you read this, but fun fact, um, Jackie Chan was among the, uh, the was guards. Was he one of those? He was one of the Did guards. Did he get killed? I mean, like, I don't know. We'd have to watch it. But he was in several scenes where he was attacking and and being, you know, fought off by Bruce Lee. My other confession. I've never seen a Jackie Chan movie. I've I've probably seen a few. It's been a long time, though. Yeah, I've just have. I do not have martial arts movies in my my repertoire. (laughs) And and just like, hey, it's good to have things that you still have to watch. Yeah. Like, wouldn't it be sad if you're, you if know, you're, you've seen all the movies, you've seen all the, all movies, the movies that matter. I've yeah. seen them all. <laughs> I did that already. So then we, I guess we got a fight between, who's the, I can't remember who, maybe it's, is it Jim? I can't remember who they fight in that first. I don't remember. I, so actually, it doesn't the, really matter. The competition scenes all blur together for me. Yeah. And to me, even though the actual choreography and the the fighting has visual interest, and especially when it's Lee yeah. or, or, or even Jim Kelly or some of the others, but um, it doesn't have it doesn't have the the weight story wise that the Angela Mao scene does. Yeah, it's and I true. just like it just doesn't mean as much 
to have it be that kind of part of the competition. Yeah. Even if, you know, Bruce Lee, John Saxon, and, and Jim Kelly have this, they're on a mission. So yeah. it's never just about the competition. But sometimes it kind of feels like it's just about the competition. Yeah. You know, somebody's going to twist a bunch of guys into so, <laughs> throw yeah, them and, across the in room. In that scene, I, I think uh, that's when uh, Bruce Lee fights O'Hara, the guy who is responsible for the death of his sister. Yeah, the guy who breaks bottles. I mean, and like, it was over like pretty fast. Like, yeah. that wasn't a very dramatic fight. This guy obviously couldn't hold a candle. Oh to... my God, though. He cut the <laughs> shit out of Bruce Lee's hand when yeah. they were actually filming that, though. They did don't you... have breakaway glass did in Hong Kong, apparently. Story? They don't yeah, have. We were watching when we were watching the movie, you saw like a window pane break mm. or something at some point. That, I was and like, you were that's like, not that, breakaway that, glass. You're like, that doesn't look like breakaway glass. <laughs> yeah. Well, they confirmed when we were watching the documentary, <laughs> they don't have breakaway. They didn't have breakaway glass. So those bottles he breaks, those are fucking live bottles. <laughs> and like they had it choreographed down to like, the millimeter or the yeah. centimeter, whatever, and he took a swing at it, just a hair. Yeah. And he got Bruce Lee and, like, ugh. Yeah. It was supposedly pretty bad. But Bruce Lee was just like, hey, it happens, you know? Uh, uh, so when they broke the glass in the control room, you can see it's a whole sheet of plate glass, which must have been, like, razor sharp, and then Bruce Lee has to jump out of the control room between the the shards of this plate glass. I mean, he could have cut the crap out of himself. Oh my god, but when you see his his body, you know, his yeah. shirt's off a lot. Yeah. I never you don't see scars all over Bruce Lee. No. Like he's doing something right. He yeah. knows what he's doing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, and then I guess he breaks out again the next night and tries to get in again. I think so. And then a lot of that Han stuff blurs starts, together for me. Starts to question. Yeah, this this part it doesn't really matter, but he starts to question Jim Kelly about it because he went out the same night, but he was just like smoking a cigarette or something like yeah. that, hanging out by the moon. Um, well, he tortures him, right? Yeah, he tortures him. That was that actually was a pretty good scene because I think Jim Kelly is again, other than Bruce Lee, the most interesting fighter yeah. on this. Thing. And then there's that cool scene where he like kicks him through a wall into like this place where like the people are hanging out, out smoking opium and it's like super trippy and <laughs> I love that scene. That was a there's good just, scene. <laughs> like there's just a bunch of women who don't react at all other than kind of amused when he gets yeah. thrown and th- kicks through <laughs> kicks through the wall and comes in. It's good stuff. So I heard apparently it was originally supposed to be Roper who got like tortured and killed, um, but uh, John Saxon wrote wrote into his contract that he wanted to be the one that uh, lived. And, Interesting, because yeah. I find it problematic yeah. that, again, it's the black guy who mm, dies. Yeah. There's 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 definitely some of that... Um, yeah. Yeah, racism in, in, in the Hollywood, you know, thing that's coming out but here exclusively. But <laughs> otherwise, Jim Kelly is great, and he holds his own... Yeah. The whole time in the story, and he's vital. He's I, he I, I want to see his other films because I really yeah. I liked him in this film a lot. So. so I wanted to ask. You said your favorite fight scene is the Angela Mao, yeah. his sister kicking ass scene. What are your other favorite standout action scenes for you? Is um, there another one that stands out? Probably the first time he breaks out and discovers the sort of like fighting off guards in the thing. And then I guess probably as far as visually the last scene same 
you know, it's, I think it was, it has the visual weight that it needs to have to be the last scene of the, you know. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> There's really no reason for there to be a hall of mirrors. No. But you've got Lee <laughs> in direct face off with uh, Han. Yeah. With the mirrors. Yeah. That's good. It's real. It looks really good. It it's it's a pure movie. Yeah. Kind of thing. Well, it's it's so interesting. Like, cause they they go into the space because he lost his claw hand, so he's going to go get another weird weapon hand to put on his arm stump. Han is. Yeah, I haven't. I'm sure that's been done in other movies. But yeah. how fun is it to see that he has all of these attachments? <laughs> attachments, right? Let's see. Do I want the claws, the claws or the knives? I remember claws and knives. I can't remember what yeah, else. Yeah, the claws has. and knives. And then he beat someone to a pulp a metal with, with a metal hand. He, he that was Jim Kelly. He was yeah. wearing the metal hand that's when right. he, he beat up Jim Kelly. Um, but that that scene is because it has these like beautiful glass display cabinets with the various hand attachments in it. That's and right. Then like. I don't remember how it happened, but they end up with, like, a spear thrown through, like, a secret passageway door. Oh, yeah. And that's how they get into the room with the mirrors. Mm -hmm. And so you have that cool shot of, like, the mirror doors with the spear, like, sticking, sticking out. out of yeah, it. Out. You know, it's pretty cool. Um, which is ultimately how Han meets his, so, his end. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. It's not just there. It has a story. It has a purpose. It has a purpose. It's there in the outcome. Uh, my other favorite Bruce Lee moments are, and I can't remember which fights these are. They to me, they yeah. some of these like fighting the minions in the underground area. Maybe it's one sequence with yeah. several parts. But the uh, the one where he's got the stick. Oh yeah. Bruce Lee with the stick. Man, this guy can work with the the weapons yeah. and the props. Like swinging that all around. That just looks so good. I think this, his shirt is off right now, by now, too. And it's well, just it's one of those... interesting because he has the stick and then he switches to nunchucks for so the, the second part of that So the nunchucks are freaking amazing, too. But I actually enjoyed the nunchuck scene in Way of the Dragon much more. Uh -huh. I think that that was more interesting. It's in that little um, yeah. alleyway. That's and, true. The and alley, yeah. the, comic, the comic use of the nunchucks yes. was pretty, pretty good. Um you know, I feel yeah, like a, they're not as dramatic as the sticks are in a dramatic scene, you know. Also, he's facing off against countless minions at yeah. that point instead of a couple of guys in the alley. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I'm glad that they have the, the face-off scene between Han and, and Lee because the other sort of, like, you know, um, I guess... Uh, the height of the action is when they release the prisoners and then like the prisoners come up and fight all the Hans people. Yeah, that was really... They and released... it's like too much chaos going on, you know? And they're color-coded at least. Yeah. Because otherwise it's just... <laughs> the prisoners it... are wearing black and the... Yeah, it's a group of guys in black fighting a bunch of guys yeah. in white. And the, yeah, the martial arts guys yeah. are wearing their geese. So yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Well, and then, like, I missed, like, a lot that happened in that, because apparently Tanya got killed at some point. Yeah. You know, because they have a scene where, like, Roper's looks back and sees her dead on the plinth or something. I don't remember seeing like... her die. I just remember seeing a cut to her Yeah. Body. So I wonder if there was a cut where, where it showed her death or something. On the, on yeah. the DVD? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we should go back and check. Okay. Um, we're almost the time, but yeah. we have to say something about the music. Oh, music's real good. <laughs> Do you like the music? I do like the music. So the music is by Lalo Schifrin, who just did 
I think he's credited with like a hundred wow. scores. So he's the go-to action movie guy mm-hmm. of the time. He works with Clint Eastwood for years. Mm-hmm. He did the Dirty Harry theme. He did Mission Impossible. Bum, okay. bum, bum, bum. Just, like yeah. all that stuff you know. And Bullet and Cool Hand Luke and Mannix and Starsky and Hutch. All these like, just yeah. like, I don't, I don't know when he finally died, but he just did hundreds of these things. But this is one of those classic, classic 70s, bass and waka waka guitar yeah. and like the percussion on the rim of the all that well, stuff apparently and he introduced a lot of um like chinese and sort of pan-asian instruments uh-huh. to, to the score you know so it's like this sort of early 70s pop funk with asian elements yeah it's so good <laughs> it was really good i know? mean i think when I was a kid, I used to make fun of that kind of score. There was a certain time where, like, me and my friend Greer yeah. were, like, 14, 15 years old. We'd see clips from movies like that. And you just kind of make fun of the, like, waka, 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 you know, the guitar, yeah. the, the wah-wah pedals, and, and the... But it's just so great. <laughs> it's so good. I love it now. Well, I think, and it just fits in this kind of a movie. This yeah. Yeah, it has to have that score. I think that there was a lot of... Um, perhaps, I mean, like... And, and perhaps still underappreciation of some aspects of 70s culture. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, we can go round and round about my feelings on disco, um, which is, I think that it's an underrated uh, thing. And, and that that is uh, largely because of uh, um, homophobic, homophobia. Homophobia. That's where I thought you were going with that. Yeah, but I mean, also, like, funk music... And, like, is incredible. It's incredible. And I think that it's way underappreciated for the artistry that goes into it and the incredible sound effects and what they were doing with early electronics in order to get those kind yeah. of sounds and stuff like that. And I think it's just way underappreciated. And I think now, that... Lalo Schifrin's yeah. European or something. I don't know if he's... Ita- I think he's Argentinian or something like that. I think like there that. was for Actually, a lot not, of... not European. A I can't lot remember. of my life, like, this backlash against the 70s. And mm-hmm. it probably had to do with the fact that my parents, who were baby boomers, probably had bad memories of the 70s because of the recession and... Oh, I mean, you know, I grew up... Know. I grew up in... I was a kid in the 70s and a teenager in the 80s, and we were trashing the 70s. yeah. As far back as I can remember, right, yeah. right coming out of it, we were trashing the 70s. Well, and I still don't love... I, mean, I think there are some films that, that do the 70s right. Like, I really enjoyed Licorice Pizza, which we just saw, yeah. which is... Is that 70s? I thought that was 80s. Maybe it's 80s. Um, but also P.T. Anderson, his that other one that we saw. Um, Inherent Vice. Inherent Vice. But I think, like, a lot of... A lot of them like play too much into the cliches of the seventies and and don't really get at what was more interesting about. You're talking about movies made after the fact as period like, films of the seventies. Um, the guy who did Silver Linings Playbook, that that seventies film that he did, that I drives me crazy. I've never seen it, but I just can't make myself see it. The one with Bradley Cooper and David O. Russell. Yeah, or... that one. He did some sort of seventies film that just looked so irritating. I, I think I, I I don't even I don't think I saw it actually. Yeah. Or maybe I did see it, and I, I can't just, remember what it it's just, called. I was going through a phase of being uh, four or five years ago really irritated with the the seventies inspired films that were coming out because I don't think they were getting at 
you know, I mean, not that I was there because I was born in 81, but I think that there's a lot more depth about that time period that a lot of people aren't getting, Mm -hmm. you know, for whatever reason. I think that, and probably in the next few years, we'll continue to see more exploration of the sort of mid to late, mid, mid 70s to early 80s, you know, because it's that time when we're going to look back at that particular time in history. Um, But I hope that we we get a lot more nuance, that it's not just about leisure suits and bell-bottom pants and, you know, that there's a lot, and gold and people with winged hair, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that we explore a lot of the sort of social issues that were happening at the time and... You know, I, I think, I think, I mean, like, and if, especially when you're looking at the, you know, history of the black power movement and stuff like that, the, you know, 60s and 70s mm-hmm. are the, are the time where we can look at that and see, you know, you know, what forces, you know, caused it not to, you know, grow as it should have, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you have to write these movies. I don't know if you yeah. can. You can't really write an impassioned letter to uh, the president about. Well, that would uh, require a lot of research on my part because I did not live through the seventies. I was born in eighty one. I barely remember the eighties. So um, we have to you befriend know. more local filmmakers and uh, make the case. That's for right. It, I guess. You know, I just I think that there's there's space for a lot more nuance in addressing. Well, well, it was I mean, a very complex you know, time in American history, you know, just as, well... Maybe P.T. Anderson is the one, or one of the ones, yeah. because he's, you know... I guess Boogie Nights is 80s, right? It's like 70... It's like the late... Okay, it's he's like kind of always... It's like 78 through 80. He's always right around the turn of yeah. the century. I mean, the turn of the century, the <laughs> turn of the decade? It's not really... But yeah, I think one, the of, 70s, one of the big events during Boogie Nights is the the... New Year's Eve for 1980. But as you said, Inherent Vice ca- captures that kind of long good night. Sir, is that the right name? The Robert Altman film? The Long, the long Goodbye? Yeah, The Long Goodbye. Yeah. That's Sorry. such a good film. I really enjoy yeah, yeah, yeah. that film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that it kind of nails that sort of 70s. Yeah. Altman, I think, because he was making films during that time, mm-hmm. you know, like Nashville is such a... Mm-hmm. interesting and nuanced film although that again may be early 80s i'm not entirely sure on I, that. no i think it's a, it's a i think it's a 70s movie that's a I fascinating want to say 78. film well and that film you know of course influenced boogie nights and mm-hmm. um i believe pt anderson worked with robert altman on one of his films i'm not sure which i can't confirm or deny i don't I know i think he's a co-director on the maybe the last film he made the prairie, prairie home, home companion. companion did you say he helped finish that or something? yeah because they wouldn't ensure the film because robert altman was so old at the time yeah you know um and he, in, fa- he in fact died you before know not, it was not released i don't think before it was released but not too long after okay. yeah all right so final thoughts on enter the dragon and mr lee so I, I'm just, so I have to say that the the plot was kind of disappointing for me. I mean, like, I understand why this film was so important, but, like, at, compared to Way of the Dragon, which to me was just such a joy to watch, and, like... So you get... 
I I just I, I prefer Way of the Dragon. It makes me want to go back. And since we have the set to watch the so other, which ones, is the next one we should see? Uh, I want to see Fist of Fury, and then okay. I've never. I don't think I've ever seen the Big Boss, but maybe I have. I can't remember. I didn't feel disappointed by the story because I wasn't expecting yeah. the story. I was <laughs> expecting Bruce Lee in an action movie. Yeah, it gave us enough to to get him in action. Yeah. Well, and I think I think for me, Bruce Lee is the draw, and the fact that it he had to share the spotlights per se with with a white dude that I don't know. Well, <laughs> and if he lived, if he had if he hadn't died so young, he yeah. probably would have this. He you know this would have been still would have been what really really launched him internationally. Yeah, and he would have made many many more probably better movies. Yeah, where or he would get to do more of his own. His whole range yeah. as an actor, mm-hmm. perhaps as a director. But, I mean, like, boy, did this... I mean, this made... I mean, like, this made shockwaves throughout entertainment for... I mean, it's still now. I mean, like, it's influenced everything. It influenced video games. It influenced, you know, all the media. or A good portion of the media that I watched as a it's kid. It's probably why little kids are taking karate lessons yeah. all across our yeah. country. yeah. Well, and, like, the history of that is fascinating, too, because, like, essentially the the history of martial arts in the U.S. is that there isn't sort of a, like, one, there aren't, it's a simplified understanding of how martial arts developed that there was, like, in China they did martial arts this way, and in Japanese, Japan they did... Yeah, like, there are these isolated things and no, different traditions. No, but, like, I mean, like, because China is such a huge place, and, um, and like, in Japan, like, even though it's a small-er place, like, people, like, little cultures developed separate from one another... And so, like, in, in like, the, you know, the northeast corner of certain parts of China, they did some sort of martial arts in this particular style. So there isn't this sort of, like, big, overarching, ancient thing that, that sort of our U.S. practitioners picked up stuff from Japan and from China and from Korea and from, and they sort of mixed it all together in to create their own sort of Americanized version of 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 martial arts you know that that probably incorporated a lot of things from a lot of different cultures within you know asia and um and then but they package it in this like westernized version of oh the ancient arts of the you know which it i mean like it is inspired by that but it's it's interesting that the way that it began to be practiced in the 70s and 80s was sort of an invention that was inspired by you know, so anyway, I was, I just think that that's interesting that that it's kind of like um, when you study tiki cocktails mm-hmm. well, <laughs> and, and the whole tiki thing. And it's Chinese just, food isn't really Chinese. Yeah, food, yeah, exactly. Kind of you know, so um, I think I don't know. I'm glad that I have more knowledge of some of the many cultures, you know, of Asia and, you know. The islands, mm-hmm. you know, that it, it gives me a deeper appreciation for, you know, how how cultures sort of interact to mm-hmm. create um, new things. And and it's, you know, appreciation and it's appropriation and it's it's good and it's bad. And it's it's just it's it's just, it's interesting. 
Yeah. And me. <laughs> I'm now a Bruce Lee fan. Yes. And I want to see all of them. <laughs> all of them. So I think our mission this week was successful. Good choice. Thank you. Loved it. Wish we could have seen it in the movie theater. Yeah. Like we saw the other one. Yeah. But, um, eh, we can do it at our leisure. That's right. On our giant TV with the Blu-ray. <laughs> okay. Thank you for listening. Next time, it's my turn. No idea which way I'm going to go. Yeah. So you'll have to just trust us. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be something good, whether you've seen it or not. Um, and if you have other opinions, thoughts about Bruce Lee, Enter the Dragon, um, drop us a line at shutupwatchthis at gmail.com. Tell your friends about the show and subscribe to us. And we will be back soon with another episode. Take care. Bye. Bye.